All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 12. We'll be praying for us. I've been on an, an adventure or two with him, and it's always exciting, to say the very least. Uh, Genesis chapter 12. This is, as Tommy said, it's my favorite time of the year. Um, really, it starts for me in November. Deer season gets cranked up. Uh, but December 1st through January uh, the 1st is just, uh, it just can't get any better. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what the month of December holds as in store, but from, from where I stand now, it looks good. And so I, I, love, uh, I love this time of year. We're going to talk about Christmas and in particularly the theme for the next couple of weeks uh, this morning. We're going to look at who needs Christmas. Who, who needs Christmas? And so just to get started, we're actually, you're probably thinking Genesis chapter 12, that's strange, but we're going to go back because uh, contrary to popular belief, the Christmas story really, it doesn't begin with two young people, a young couple trying to find a place to have their baby, okay? And it, it didn't start in Matthew or the book of, of Luke at all. It actually started with an older couple. As a matter of fact, a couple who was pretty much uh, come, to the, come to the place where they believed they just couldn't have a child at all. And it actually starts in Genesis with an unbelievable, seemingly impossible promise. And so in Genesis, we are told that God spoke to Abraham 2,000 years before Jesus and he made an unbelievable promise. Um, and Abraham chose to believe it. It's kind of crazy because even today a lot of people have a hard time believing the Christmas story. But it really, it, it, it turns out the Christmas story is believable because of everything leading up to it. It's just an amazing, an amazing story. And it's so neat because you can just... Look back through time starting in Genesis and see this, this thread that's just kind of woven into every book in the Old Testament leading up to the manger. And everything was talking about and pointing to one person and one person only, and that was Jesus Christ. And so we're going to walk through some of this. And but in particular, we're going to read just a couple of verses to get started. In Genesis chapter 12, um, starting with verse 1. Verses 1, 2, and 3. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, your families, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And you will be a blessing uh, to others. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. And so it... It really, it all starts off here with, with a command, much like we're given, go. He is told to go, he's told to leave this country, his family, his, his friends, relatives. I want you to go and to beat all. I'll show you as you go, okay? I'm not going to point out and give you the land specifically yet, but I'll show you where to go. No idea, truly, just Trusting God. We're not told in the Bible why God chose 
Abraham. I guess he had to start somewhere and with someone. But absolutely, there's no doubt about it. This man is a man of faith to do what he would do, much like that of, of Mary. You know, when the angel came to Mary and told her, you're with child, God's son. And, and this 13, 14-year-old girl believed. As a matter of fact, she didn't fully understand it, but she said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be unto me as you've said. And that's the kind of faith that you see here. And so he would leave his security, his home, his family, and he would go. And he was told, okay, now if you do this, there's blessings that go along with it. First of all, I'm going to make you into a great nation. So we're, we're talking about a 75-year-old man with no children. Okay, going to make you into a great nation. And so I would think there was probably, he might have had a hard time understanding this. Yet he believed he would go. We were then told that uh, God told Abraham that I will bless you, make your name great. And actually what that means is famous. Just imagine Abraham thinking, are you kidding? I mean, I'm leaving those that I know. And let you get, you're going to make me famous. And you will be a blessing in a, in a time period when the world was corrupt and it's, it's violent. And I'm going to bless those. I'm going to be... Good to those, bless those that are good to you, and I'll curse those who curse you. And then probably the most unbelievable part of this whole promise, the last part, it, it, it doesn't meet up. It's not on the same level as a virgin birth, but this is a pretty crazy, hard-to-believe part of this promise. All the people on earth will be blessed through you. All the people. Everyone will be blessed. Not, not just talking about Jews. The world will be better off because of you, Abraham. Keep in mind, similar today, um, but people didn't bless other people back then necessarily. You're usually looking out for number one. But for sure, nations did not bless other nations. Okay? Uh, more like Conquer, plunder, destroy. Those words might have been used, but definitely not bless. And yet we see here that Abraham believed the unbelievable. And up in his 90s, he would give birth. Sarah would give birth to a son. But even at that point, I mean, I don't know that everybody on the earth is necessarily feeling blessed at that moment. And and when you just walk through, and I'm not going to do this throughout the whole entire Old Testament, but when you just kind of walk through the book of Genesis just for a second and see this blessed family, in a sense, this family of blessings, it's, it's kind of funny and it should give us hope because they weren't superheroes. They were just like you and I. When you think about the fact that Abraham was a liar, he had a tendency to lie here and there, as you study the scriptures, and when you look at his son Isaac, who had twins, Jacob and Esau, and Jacob, we are told, stole the birthright of his older son, of his older brother Esau, and then Jacob's older boys would sell the younger boy, Joseph, into slavery, and Joseph would wind up in Egypt, and we are told eventually the entire family would migrate to Egypt, and there, you could say they became a nation of slaves, you want to. A nation of 
slaves. And so at that point in Genesis, nobody's feeling blessed, okay? And for sure, the nation of Israel is not in a position to bless anybody. Then comes Moses, and I don't know, I've often thought of Moses as just caring for a large adult daycare for the several years of his life, having to fool with these with these people, and then you have several, several years of just lots of violence, a lot of killing, um, not a lot of blessing. As a matter of fact, uh, it really reflected a society, a time period when people just had no view of, of God. People put no value on human life whatsoever. And then somewhere around a thousand years after God's promise to Abraham, you do have the nation of Israel at this point, and they're run by judges for a little while, and then you have kings, and if you ever want to read about some scoundrels, just study those two books at the kings of, of Israel. But, but two people in particular, I mean, they play such a huge role in just, in just the whole story. But you have David, and then you have his son Solomon. And during that time period, there was somewhat peace because during David's reign, you have a time when the, the children of Israel are actually feared. Uh, they're actually respected. During Solomon's reign, well, you've got they're wealthy, they're very influential. And so, from a human perspective, if you're viewing this like the Jews were, at this point in time in history, this is the first time the children of Israel have ever been in a position to bless anybody. And, oh my, but instead of blessing the nations, Solomon, he would marry their daughters and worship their gods. God had already made the promise that's not going to work. And you study, you see that the temple would be destroyed and the Oh, the kingdom of Israel will be divided. A, a great, from a worldly, a human standpoint, perspective, a great opportunity lost. And then you fast forward another 300 years. You're like 700, give or take 700 B.C. at this point. And the, the northern kingdom's lost. And the southern kingdom, Judah's on the verge. And again, I say, okay, Israel could not bless themselves at this point. And for sure, they're not in a position to bless anyone else. It's right here that, that God would speak through the prophet Isaiah. And everything that he said would be written down and preserved for us today, for you and I. Some of the verses have already been read from the book of Isaiah. And so we're like 1,200 years after the promise that was made to Abraham Things are not going well for Israel again. Northern kingdom gone. Southern kingdom on the verge. The Assyrian king has actually come in, taken over Jerusalem, forcing King Hezekiah to surrender. And man, it's right there. I mean, you've got to have that picture of what's taking place and what's going on. And it's right here where God decides, I'm going to make another promise. I will also... Make you, children of Israel, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. 
I just imagine those children of Israel at this point thinking, what a joke. We're going to bring salvation to the world. Please. And yet you think God in heaven looking down the big smile on his face. It's working out perfectly. Everybody's right where I want them. Everything's being set up for the big day. Right after this, we're told uh, they would completely lose their independence at this point. Next 300 years, it's just absolute sheer chaos. The cities are being ransacked. The temple is destroyed. The best and the brightest were, were taken away. Those like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those people are taken away. Economies in shambles. The, the military's gone. It's decimated at this point. And God's not finished making promises. It's right here. God sends one more prophet. Malachi. His words too, would, they would no doubt seem impossible and unbelievable. Malachi, the final voice at a time when Israel, they are at the bottom. And so you just imagine, just a part of this verse, Malachi chapter 1 and verse 11, God says, My name will be great among the nations. And those onlookers thinking, no, it won't. Actually, your name is mocked among the nations. Your nation is pathetic at this point in time. It can't feed itself. It can't protect itself. It's over. And to be honest with you, I'm sick of all of these empty promises. I don't know. Maybe, maybe the god Zeus, maybe that's who you're talking about, and I don't know, maybe you're referring to Alexander the Great. But for sure, you couldn't possibly be talking about the God of the children of Israel. And there's a lot of frustration. When you read the whole verse, Malachi chapter 1 and verse 11, from where the sun rises to where it sets. So that's the world, okay? In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me. People will be worshiping me throughout the world because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. And it doesn't appear that a lot of people buy into this. And again, from a human perspective, at this point in history, why would they? I mean, they're just a doormat for the other nations to step on. And then you have what I believe to be probably the most difficult part of this whole story. Because from there, you have 400 years of silence. For the first time, God, no prophets, God's not speaking through anyone to His people at all. It's just sheer silence on the earth. And you talk about a group of people, I'm sure, that feel abandoned. It's over with. He's turned his back on us. He's done. He's finally had, after this roller coaster of a ride through the Old Testament of crying out to God, sinning, worshiping other idols, crying. He's finally had enough. At this point in time, 
in the story. And then man, to add insult, add insult to injury, we are told 63 B.C. through this, during this silent time, Pompey would take over Jerusalem, become a part of, of Rome. We're told that Pompey rode his horse into the temple to see this, this great and this mighty Jewish God. And yet he would find that the temple is empty because, after all, Jews didn't bow down to an image or to an idol. And Pompey would say, what a pathetic religion. And at that point began the Roman rule of Israel. And so at that point, from a human perspective, the descendants of Abraham, they had become a nation. <laughs> but the unbelievable, impossible promises that were made, they seemed to end right there. And for the most part, that's it. Because all the nations at this point had not been blessed through Abraham. And Israel was not a light to the Gentiles. And the Jewish God would not be worshipped throughout the world. And nobody's interested in a God that couldn't protect his own people. A group of people who were loyal to this invisible and seemingly inactive God at this point in history. And it is right there, hopeless, bottom of the barrel, nowhere left to go, rock bottom. Luke chapter 1, verse 26, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. A town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. You have found favor with God. You will conceive, give birth to a son. You will call his name Jesus or Deliverer or Savior. He will be great, great, he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom, it will never end. And here we see it. God rules and reigns his kingdom spiritually, if you will, at this point. So if you're a follower of Christ, you're a part of this kingdom of God. Those on the outside, maybe even here this morning that are lost, you look at all this and think, it's foolishness, this is so crazy. But to those of us who are saved, to those of us being saved, it's the power of God at work. God moving and ruling through His people today spiritually in the end, God kept his seemingly unbelievable promise to Abraham. And, and man, the, the events surrounding the first Christmas, they're really not that difficult to believe when you look at what God had to do and how it all worked out perfectly according to his purpose and to his plan. And 
And guys, all the nations would be blessed through Abraham. And Israel would be a light to the Gentiles. And you and I are proof of that. The Jewish God would be worshipped throughout the world. And so it is today. Maybe not every people group yet, but on every continent. You have followers of Jesus Christ. And so we think for just a moment... We didn't come here for just an Old Testament survey. How does this apply for us today? I mean, who needs Christmas? People in the Old Testament could not always see God's plan and His purpose. Okay, Mary, she didn't fully understand all of it. Abraham, he didn't fully understand it. It's called walking by faith and, and not by sight. So through the Christmas story, we are reminded this morning, in the most remarkable way imaginable, God is still very much active. God's still moving and he's, he's very much at work. When you see how he orchestrated all of these things for 2,019 years from Abraham all the way up to the the manger scene. When you see how all of that stuff works, he had a purpose, he had a plan, and nothing could stop it. And so it is today. Okay? God is still very much at work. (laughs) Nothing, Nothing has changed whatsoever. Uh... The problem is, when you think about it from an Old Testament perspective, the problem is, is that, you see, God's working out things possibly this morning in in some of your lives. God's working out things. He's got the year 4,000 in mind. He's got the year 5,000 in mind. And so it's impossible for us as human beings to try and figure out, no, what is it that God's doing here and what he's doing there? And oftentimes it just leaves us frustrated. You got God's perspective, you got man's perspective, and when man tries to enter into that realm of God, we just get flustered. Because we can't possibly know and understand everything that God is doing. And in all reality, we don't want to know. Because, guys, if, if we knew, if, if we could guess and know every move that God's going to make, that makes God a human being. Do you want to worship a human? You might as well put your faith and trust in politicians. And it's so sad because I watch and so oftentimes people do. It's so funny to watch people as you can tell sometimes... I. Some people, I watch them, it's like their, their joy and their happiness rest on what they said on the news that morning. Yet we are told, according to Romans chapter 13, verse 1, Paul makes it clear, God puts all rulers and kings and presidents into office, into authority. He takes them out whenever he wants to because he's God, he's in control, and he's thinking 2,000 years from now. And it's impossible for you and I to try and keep up. You'll just be frustrated. It all comes down to faith. It all comes down to trust. And God is very much active today. 
tell you something else, God's very much interested in the world and in his people. He was interested in those people from Genesis to, to all the way to the manger. He was interested in his people. He was caring for them, forgiving them. He's very much interested in us because he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. And now, 2,000 years later, he's, inter- he's interested in the world He's interested in America. He's interested in Tennessee and Saudi Daisy. And the wonderful part about it, the creator of all things is interested in you and your life. He loves you personally. Personally. The God of, who created it all loves you and is interested in your life personally. But the last thing, even when our circumstances seem grim... God can be trusted. That's what you see throughout the Old Testament. He can be trusted. He's, he's very much, even when there's silence, God can be trusted. You know, sometimes I think we like to pick and choose uh, promises in the Bible that we're going to cling to, and we like to leave out others. But, you know, Jesus was really clear in this world there will be tribulation, it's going to be tough. No, do we get it? Just seems to get more tough and hard, and difficult. And, you know, sometimes I, I think we look too much into the Book of Revelation. It's, it is can be simplistic. You've maybe never heard those words used together, Revelation and simplistic. But when you just look at the overall view of it, it's really key and really important. Uh, when you go back to Revelation chapter one and verse one, uh, John actually tells us what the book's about. All the other books. Jesus. It's all about God. It's all about Jesus Christ. And then you've got through chapter 4, he is correcting. He's instructing these seven churches on what to do. They're in the middle of persecution like never before. And then when you look on from there, from chapter 5, and you make your way on to chapter 19, he's telling these churches it's bad and it's going to get worse. But there's hope because Jesus is coming again. The hope is found in the cross. The hope is found in Jesus Christ and his return one day. And so just like they, God worked it all out, man, it all worked out here and there. Jesus was born the first time. There's a sequel, the second part. And we're in the middle of it right now as we speak impossible to know what all God's doing and what he's going to do but we're living by faith not by sight we trust God knowing that one day one way or the other we're going to stand before Jesus question be asked who needs Christmas I believe we do I believe we do Thank you.